Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. This is another episode in my Teaching From Home podcast series. This podcast series is kindly supported by Tez Resources. Tez Resources have created a home learning collection full of hand-picked free resources for teachers to use with children who are learning at home or to share with parents. Please search online for Tez Home Learning to find the collection and see how Tez can help you. You can also find this collection through the Tez Coronavirus Support Hub at tez.com forward slash coronavirus. And there'll be a link to that in the show notes. My aim during this Teaching From Home series is that you will hear from a wide variety of teachers sharing a wide variety of experiences. There'll be technology-focused episodes, just how does remote teaching work, but also episodes focused on the practicalities of coping with setting students' appropriate work whilst also having to look after your own children at home and deal with other family issues. Then there are issues of safeguarding, differentiation, teacher mindset, and so much more that I hope will come up as we progress. There'll be maths teachers, teachers of other subjects, and primary school teachers. There'll be teachers from the UK and, as we'll see today, from overseas. Hopefully, there'll be something for everyone. I've no idea how long this series will go on for, but so long as people keep listening and hopefully finding it useful, I shall continue. This time around, I spoke to US maths teacher Michael Pershin. Now, Michael's been on the show before, and if you haven't listened to that episode, I strongly recommend you go back and check it out, because we discuss cognitive load theory, worked examples, and so on. But today, Michael shares his perspective on what life is currently like living and working in New York amidst the uh, COVID-19 outbreak, and then we dive deep into how Michael uses Zoom at the start of his lessons, which includes an incredibly clever use of the chat function as an effective assessment for learning strategy. I really hope you find this episode useful and please stay safe. Okay Michael, so firstly welcome back to the podcast and secondly for uh, for listeners who haven't checked out uh, your first interview, which I warmly recommend they do, will you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. So I'm a, uh, a math teacher. This is my 10th year teaching. And it's the second school that I've taught at. My first school was just a secondary school. The school that I teach at now uh, is a kindergarten through secondary, through 12th grade in America, uh, uh, through a year 12 school. I live in New York City. I forgot to mention that. And uh, we live in New York City. That's currently, I don't know when this is going to air, but currently that's the major epicenter of the United States uh, coronavirus epidemic. Yes, I've been tracking this on the news. So we're recording this on Sunday, the 29th of March, and this will go out in a few days' time, mid- middle of next week. So, yeah, unless something drastic changes, you, you're, you're what everyone's talking about at the moment. Yeah, I live in a neighborhood that so far is not the major epicenter within the epicenter. <laughs> uh, uh, and yet I, I would be kind of shocked if... if uh, I don't know how good the the audio is going to come through, but I, I would be shocked if you don't end up hearing uh, sirens uh, throughout this podcast because 
that that's really been you know if I wasn't connected to the internet uh, uh, my knowledge of this thing would be a little bit different. It would take me a little bit of time to figure out that something was off. But the first clue would be the sirens. What? What? If this isn't a stupid question, what, what kind of sirens? What are they? What are they for? Oh, a- ambulance sirens going ah. back and forth constantly. Jeez. Uh, so, yeah. And and so again, just for the benefit of, of listeners from the UK, um, I, I take it like us, you're in complete lockdown. Are you? Are you allowed to leave your house? What's What's the deal? That's right. We're we're allowed to leave our house, um, and there's no, there's no. You know, when I went out for a run this morning, once a day I take my kids out to uh to a place where they aren't near anybody else and they can run around. We've got a little backyard. I've got a five year old and a two and a half year old. My son's five. My daughter's two and a half. And they um, it's kind of necessary to take them out to, to to run around a little bit. If if either of us, if anybody in our family, uh, had coronavirus, we would be actually locked down, locked down. That's what we're being asked to do, to really stay at home uh, completely. But as of now, none of us have had the virus, so we're free to go out for walks. Uh, I can walk to the grocery store, uh, pick up stuff, but but, but really we're asked to keep our distance and to stay inside. Jeez, and if this isn't the most stupid question in the whole wide world, Michael, is it it scary? Is it a scary situation? Can you sense the fear amongst the people around you? Well, the, you know, the people around me are really my family. That mm. one of the weird things about this. So I'm in a, uh, I'm a religious Jew, and so on Saturdays I don't have any connection to the internet because that's the Shabbat, and I, I I'm not connected, so I'm not. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of oblivious to to the news for for twenty twenty four hours. And and what's interesting that was yesterday. What's interesting about that is is my experience of it of, of whatever is happening now is, is really quite different when you're not connected to the news, because because you know. We're staying more or less near our home, and you go out in the street, and there are people walking. Uh, they're keeping their distance. Uh, they've got masks on. Uh, really, the scariest thing is the grocer is really going to the grocery store. That's the only that that's that's the time when I can really sense fear. Like somebody yelled at me that I was getting too close, and really, yeah, lots of people have masks on, and and some things are out, and there were signs saying. Uh, uh, only one package of eggs per family because of a, a supply shortage right now. So. It, so it really depends where where you go. If you read the news, it's terrifying. And my wife and I have a moment every day where we read the news and we say, oh, my God, <laughs> yes. this is terrifying. But if you really aren't connected to the news, it's it's something a little bit different, which is kind of strange. If you're really just inside with the kids all day and you're teaching all day, it's something less than, you know, because it's not like there's, at least right now, I mean, we we, we don't have... We've got. I think everybody at this point has has first or secondhand somebody. They've heard of somebody who 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 has the virus, but right now our immediate circle doesn't have it. I, I don't know what's going to happen next, but right now it's not. I'd say right now that it's possible to go about your your daily life without without completely freaking out as long as you avoid the news, which you shouldn't do because. Uh, the news is kind of important now but um but that's kind of the situation i don't know that's fascinating fascinating and in terms of um, the school situation michael am i right in saying that your schools have been closed for for two weeks is that right that's right well well that yeah that's right my school got a little bit of a head start on the public schools i teach at a private school an independent school called uh saint anne's and it's in brooklyn and we we um we closed our school before the vast majority of New York City schools closed. 
And because New York City is sort of an epicenter, we other than uh, uh, out west on the west side of the United States, uh, Washington has, was first um, to have a, a major outbreak. But but uh, so they closed some schools in Washington. So but but otherwise New York was was early. So we were we were we were you know by about a week a week about a week ahead of of, of most schools uh, that closed in the United States. So we closed. We've we've been teaching online for two weeks but we closed halfway through the week before got it fantastic um so i've loads of questions for you michael but but the first one is um, i'm interested in in the structure of your day so when does your when does your day start when does it end when do you take breaks and and also i'm interested um how that fits in with with your commitments as as a father as a husband because i believe your wife's working at home as well so so what, what does a day look like for you yeah I- I mean, any parent who's been home with their kids, um, especially if you've got young children, uh, knows that a day spent at home working from home with young children is is mostly taking care of your children. Yes. Right. Uh, interspersed with work here and there when you have a moment. And that's that's really what it's like. So our kids wake up in the morning. They run into our room. Our daughter picked uh, three days ago to figure out how to climb out of her crib. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> so, so the kids come running in, uh, one and the other usually together. Uh, they fight about who's got room on in the bed. We kind of push them out, and then uh, my wife's working from home. She's she's also a teacher. So so every night we have to make this very um, kind of detailed schedule. Uh, both of our schools have asked us to teach a mix of live sessions and uh, uh, what I think you're calling setting work, but what a lot of the schools here seem to be calling asynchronous lessons. Got it. In other words, kids are working on something and you're involved, but not, it's not a live class. It's fuzzy. We should talk about that later. But, but in any event, so we have to make a schedule about when our classes are meeting. We do that the night before. Usually it's kind of a mess. Uh, there's, there's always a couple periods where it's like, Oh, you know, my class goes from 11 to 1145 and she's at a different school. So it's kind of like, Oh, well I teach, that class starts from 11:30 to 12:15, and we're like, okay, so that's you know there'll be 10 minutes or 15 minutes in the middle there when we're both teaching, and then you know so so our day begins uh, maybe like quickly trying to finish up some work before our class while taking care of the kids, getting them breakfast. I mean, really just taking care of your kids, uh, uh, playing with them, trying to not uh, let them run around too much. Our we live on the sixth floor in a two bedroom apartment and um, our neighbors downstairs, we were at peace for a long time with them. Uh, Cause they, <laughs> we, 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 right. We, we'd worked very hard to make sure that we put rugs down. We really tried to keep our kids from bothering them, but now they have started slipping angry notes under our door again. So, <laughs> so we try to, you know, make sure the kids aren't hitting each other, jumping off the furniture, etc. We take care of them, and then as soon as there's a class, we kind of say, "All right, let's let's figure out how to make this work. Let's try to put TV on while one parent teaches, or maybe I can take the kids out to the backyard while my wife teaches, or maybe they can do an art project in one room." But but one parent really needs to be on uh, to have any shot at protecting the other parent's teaching time. Yeah. So it's it, it's really a mess. There's no planning time during the day. Unless one of us steals some time, you know, while ignoring a kid. Uh, so that that's that's and then, you know, it's and then it's just a day home with your kids. So whenever we're done teaching, we do supper, get them into the bath, uh, get them to sleep. And then, you know, 
at least right now, every night there's work. Every night, because there's no planning time, and the, yes. and schools haven't really drastically changed what they're expecting of us. It feels like so. Uh, so every night there's planning time, and there's also cleanup, and then we do the whole thing again. Jeez. It's kind of it's kind of a kind of a drain. Got to be honest, we're 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 gonna make it through this, but this is this is really a drain. Flipping, it. it's 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 interesting, isn't it? It's um, so I, I'm for this series, I'm I'm interviewing a whole wide range of teachers, and I'm, I'm I was particularly interested to get you get you on, Michael. But firstly, for your blogs, but also because I, I knew um, obviously you had, you had a family, and it's a different yeah. ball game, isn't it? With with the fact that you've got you've you're wrestling these these two roles and responsibilities, your your responsibility to your students and your school, but also as as a parent and it's yeah and particularly you chuck your wife into the mix who's a teacher as well it's um yeah it, it's difficult that's interesting with with the scheduling the uh the, the evening before fascinating um oh sorry go on michael oh no just to ch- i mean the and and our, both of our schools are aware of this you know and and they're not cruel they understand that this is hard and many of the administrators also have young children but but so many of the teachers don't have young children that I, my sense is that schools don't feel they they want to be as a, as accommodating as possible to people who have many family responsibilities, but they're not quite ready to say, you know, uh, to drastically change the expectations for for that reality for some teachers. You know what I mean? Yes. There's they're they're trying to delicately allow certain wiggle room or suggest ways that we can make this manageable. While many of our colleagues are kind of, you know, bored and saying, great, I'm, I'm ready to experiment. I'm ready to try this new tool. I'm ready to try this new technique. This is what I did. I recorded videos. And, and, and you know, that's, that's part of what's, what's really challenging about this for me is that it's, it's uh, you don't want to feel like you're shortchanging your students as a teacher. Uh, and it's not easy to say, I can't do what my colleague's doing because I have a family. But that's that that's that's kind of what I've, I'm feeling uh, trying to figure that out. And, and so far the compromise is to work every night and that's, that, that's hard. That's fascinating. Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, in terms of, in terms of the content, Michael, that, that you're choosing to teach here, um, I, I forget, uh, forgive me here. We call it schemes of work, kind of the order that topics are taught uh, to classes. Um, are you continuing with the with the with the original order? Have you, or have you adapted it in any way for to to, uh, to deal yeah. with the new the new situation? Yeah. Well, the, the short answer is: Are you asking on the personal level, or kind of uh, departmentally, or school level, or or I can I, talk about all those. Yeah, I'll have them all. Why not? Let's go. Sure. First. So. I mean, right, this happened so quickly for us. It shouldn't have happened so quickly. Really, I, I feel like I had a conversation with a colleague in, uh, I think, early February where it was kind of like, hey, have you read the news? We're probably going to close in a month. And he said, yeah, probably. And we went on, you know. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, but but this did come so quickly. So at first it was just, you know, sp- the first week was just survive. Mm. The school was just asking us to do anything. Um, in week two... Our, our department chairs, the people in charge of the head of the departments, uh, came up with a kind of cold list. Uh, they, 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 they edited our list of, of topics that we usually cover, and they sent it around, and they said – they basically said mostly we cut geometry so uh, from, at every grade level. Uh, wow. Just, you know, because cause they decided that that's the thing that, that if you're going to cut something, start there. Because uh, – 
because that is the thing that would be least difficult to catch up on next year uh, and also the least crucial for the path towards algebra. Jeez, it's a big shout, that, though, isn't it, to, to cut something out like that? Yeah, well, that's just our school. I mean, mm. this is not this is not New York City doing that. Sure, We're, sure. My, we, we set our kind of our own topics in, in the school, but it's, I mean, it's sad, uh, but that is indeed what our guidance is right now. And then on a personal level, um, I have, I've had to drastically change things around. I both for a number of reasons. First of all, I was, there, there are topics, um, that are important and there's topics that are less important. Let's, let's put that out there. There, there's, 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 uh, uh, there are also topics that are easier to teach using our digital tools, and there are topics that are harder to teach during, using our digital tools. And so as I've been trying to figure out what to teach and in what order and what to figure what, – what, what to focus on, uh, I, I've had to consider both of those things, um, which things are important and also which things will be most doable using our digital tools. And that, that tends to – mean a couple of things. I mean, first of all, there's there's topics. I was in one of my classes, in one of my algebra classes, uh, in the US, we, we break things down by, we have a course called Algebra. Uh, so in one of those courses, I was doing a topic using kind of my own materials that I was putting together every day. I wasn't following a curriculum, uh, a particular uh, set of materials. I was, I was designing my own this year for this unit. I was, um, the topic was uh, solving quadratic equations for a class that that was finding it very difficult. And as I was sitting trying to plan it, it became clear I I don't have the resources to pull this off at the, with these students right now. I, I I'm going to have to figure out how to do this later, but but I don't. So I immediately stopped teaching that just for a moment um, because I didn't have the tools to to to, to do that yet. Um, if that makes any sense. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then, and then, in, in one of my classes, in my 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 youngest students, my eighth and my eight and nine year olds, uh, they were working on visualizing fractions right before we left, which involved a lot of shading and a lot of coloring fractions and drawing fractions. And I had to put that on hold for a little bit while I could figure out how I'm going to do that, um, how I'm going to see their work, how they're going to continue. Doing that, we've also been told that our students don't have printers. We can't, we can't assume that our students have printers uh, to to actually print sheets that we provide digitally. So, um, so so that I put a hold on. It's a, that's an important topic. I can't just skip that. That's a very important topic. But with my digital tools right now, I wasn't sure how to do it. So that's that's the kind of thing that I've been working on. If other teachers are experiencing this. It's hard to figure out these tools. I, I, I feel like what's important to do is to figure out not just what's important, but what's feasible in those first couple of weeks when you're doing distance learning. Because uh, some topics are more amenable to text and writing and numerical answers and numerical work. Uh, something like solving equations is, 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 is pretty easy to type. Um, so, so I've been I've been shifting towards things like that. With my with that algebra class, we're working on uh, powers and exponents, which is a little bit easier. I've got more materials. I've got more 
practice problems that are easier for them to type in and so on. So that's 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 the kind of sh- short-term shifts that I've been making. Long-term, my department's given us some guidance to, to, to try to focus on what's most important. So... A couple of things on that, Michael. So, so first, I think it's it's a really important point that you want both teachers' first experience of this and students to be a, a positive one. So you don't want to be going in with some complex topic and not just complex in terms of its mathematical difficulty, difficulty but also complex in terms of how to teach it at a distance when you're not live in the classroom if, if that's a dodgy first experience for for kids and and for for teachers it can it can mess the whole thing up right it, it can get you off onto onto a wrong footing so thinking carefully about the topic in these first couple of weeks i think is a really really smart thing to do i i love that and um, I, I, I can't move on without you telling me some of the things that fall into the list of stuff that isn't important michael what, what's give me a few things that have been chopped here because listeners are oh. desperate to know well, I don't know. I mean, it is, it, everyone, everybody's got their list, right? Uh, oh, what's not important? What's not important? Well, okay, so here's, here's an example. With my fourth grade uh, students, and these kids are nine or ten years old, I use a wonderful set of books called Beast Academy for, the, for these kids. And it's a wonderful set of books uh, because uh, this, this, this group that I teach is, is advanced in, in, in various ways. They're, they're this is an advanced class, what's called an accelerated class in my school. Hmm. So what I had been doing was was I'd been following along in this book, which which uh, and and this book has something called uh, um, is various enrichment problems. Uh, so so this is a lovely topic, but it's just not crucial. Uh, it's it's counting numbers in a list. It's it was there's a whole chapter on counting that I was getting started, ready to do. Uh, uh, the problems were things like, hey, say that you've got a list that goes uh, 2, 5, 8, 11, you know, dot, 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 dot. And oh, oh boy, can I mm. figure out what's, uh, what are these? These are mod, <laughs> these are mod uh, 2, mod 3. Okay, so, right. so, and then it ends with 32. Um, how many numbers are in that list? And, uh, you know, th- those are interesting challenges. And they're... Um, they show they're useful in, in many contexts, but they are definitely enrichment. And so this week I shifted towards decimals, which if I'm going to put an effort to really make sheets and materials and problems and everything that, that really support these kids, I'm going to focus on some of the more crucial things like, like understanding how decimals work. Uh, of course, I could take a moment and hate on you know obscure algebra topics, uh also but But, it's 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 interesting that michael because it raises a wider point right and it's it's far too early in this whole thing to to um, say whether this is going to be the case but if if lots of teachers adopt this policy which i think is a super smart one you 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 could see those enrichment tasks being the things that suffer right And, and students experience of mathematics becomes focused on these core topics it which again isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's there's a whole side of mathematics that potentially a, a, a group of students could miss out on for a prolonged period of time. Well, would you, would you agree with that, or do you think once teachers get more used to this and kids get more used to this, the enrichment side of things can come back in? I'm not sure. It, it's it like you said, it is a little bit too early to tell. I think our our mayor has said, uh, uh, "Do you have mayor? Yeah, you have mayors." So yeah. um, our mayor has said. Uh, that that we shouldn't expect to come back uh, for the rest of the school year. When does your school year finish, Michael? 
uh, in June. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, so so I don't know. I, the, I would say that the places for enrichment right now is I'm 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 shifting towards providing big resources for students that they can kind of explore on their own at least once a week. Mm. Um, so that both both to lessen my personal planning requirements in the evening, but also trying to think, well, maybe kids could, if they're motivated, and that's a big if, right? But yes. but if they are motivated, uh, they could they could kind of progress through some enrichment math on their own. If if right, um, if they're motivated to, and that's a big thing that I would say the big change between the classroom and this is 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 that motivation in a social environment is just radically different than motivation when you're alone in your room. Yes. Um, yeah. And so I think that could open up some enrichment for those who are who needed. And I've already had my youngest students saying, can I have more sheets? Could I have more something to do? Um, my older students have not told me that. Uh, well, one of my classes of older students has, has asked for some of that. But 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 the point is, that I, I think that it, it, right. So I think there's easy ways to bring enrichment back for students who are motivated to. And that's actually a very important thing to do, given that a lot of kids are stuck at home. Um, but how to kind of bring back the sorts of bigger picture of mathematics, mm. things that we would do, the sharing arguments, the the the, the idea that math isn't simply algorithms. That's a that's a little bit of a work in progress for me. That's interesting. Maybe we'll revisit this around about June and we'll see if we see if you've cracked it, Michael. That'll be that'll sure. be interesting. Um, next question is, um, and you've kind of alluded to this a little bit. What well, what's the balance that you've struck between live teaching versus, as you say, what I'm calling kind of setting of work? Right. Well, in the first week that our school, that my school rather, um, asked us to do this internet teaching. Uh, they asked us to do everything live. They asked us to keep the full school schedule, uh, uh, but just live. Wow. Um, which I, you know, to their credit, I think they knew that they were going to have to change that. I think they knew that that was, you know, not the correct way to do this. What What was the um, logic with with deciding to start that way? I don't know. I think I, to the best I can tell, and I. I, I any of my administrators who are listening to this wonderful podcast, uh, I I don't envy your position at all. You have tough choices to make. But I, I, I think what they were thinking was that the number one problem is just going to be helping many of the teachers understand the basic technology here. Mm. And that if they change, if they started changing the schedule, it wouldn't give every teacher a chance to teach their classes at the regular time. Our, our schedule is very... We don't have the same – we're one of these schools where Monday looks different than Tuesday and Wednesday looks different than Thursday, and there's twice-a-week classes and there's you know, everyday classes. So I think that they just wanted to say, look, we're in crisis mode. Yes. We need to make sure that everybody has some idea of what it means to do this teaching with the tools that we're asking you to use, and we can make it through a week. Mm. Everybody can make it through a week. I, I, I think that they knew that it would be – particularly that parents and students would not like that. Because if you think about it, very young children, 10 and 11 year olds, just in front of a screen for a whole school day. That's, that's, that's crazy. You know, 
Um, but I think that they said for one week we can do this just to make sure that it's all that, that basically people can log on, basically teachers can do something. And then they were prepared on week two to change the plan. And then week two, they said, we'd like you to move to half and half. We'd like you to meet four times a week uh, but or, or to have class, quote unquote, to have class four times a week. But twice a week, you should have live sessions and twice a week you should be setting work. OK. And just just to clarify, Michael, just remind us the, the age range of students you teach. Well, what are we referring to here? Well, well, right. So my school uh, is everything from kindergartners up through secondary students. I personally teach eight and nine year olds uh, uh, who what are called third graders here. Year three, uh, year three, year four, year eight and year nine. Got it. And and your school's policy, it was the, was this the same across all all year groups? No, um, the school is more willing to have live meetings. It's similar, though. It's it's well, well, the big difference is that the, the year three students still have homeroom teachers at my school, classroom teachers that if they were uh, in regular session, would they would be with those classroom teachers all day. They wouldn't travel between classes and and specialty teachers come in. Math is a yes. specialty. Um, so those students are basically interacting with their homeroom teachers and I'm meeting with them once a week live and posting assignments for them, setting work for them, uh, the other three days a week. Got it. Got um, it. but the, the year four students been asked to, uh, to meet live with them twice a week. And I've been told which classes I am allowed to meet with them live, though I'm kind of allowed to make optional office hours or ask students to I can kind of have a half live class with them I can say uh, meet me in the beginning here's your assignment and now go and do it yes um, I can do that with them and then uh, for the older students and that's true for my year eight students also because that's what we call middle school that's all my middle schoolers and then the secondary schooling starts at year nine and those students I have been given more flexibility on the theory that they can handle more live classes my, my overriding sense, by the way, is that this plan was not made specifically with math in mind and maybe even made more with other subjects in mind, uh, where, you know, uh, sorry, thoughtful pause. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think the sense is that in, in other sub, well, it's not entirely true what I was about to say. I was about to say that, that other subjects have an easier time finding meaningful work for students to do independently without a teacher present on the non-live classes, though I've heard, especially with the younger students, that that's not working well on other subjects either. But but my sense is also the school thought that it would be easier uh, for teachers to move to this kind of twice-a-week live class, twice-a-week not live, and, and I think that that's more true in other subjects where maybe you could say read this mm. on your on your non-synchronous day or or write this uh or uh or but but in math uh, i mean we do assign homework to students work for students to do at home but 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 really students need you know a lot of assistance in general when they're doing stuff they're, they're very rarely working truly independently without any help and the assignments, at least what my experience is, if I want to have assignments and work uh, for students that they can really do that way, it takes a lot of 
effort on my part to create those things. It's not the, my normal way of doing business. Yes. Um, and so this plan does not necessarily make things easier for for me uh, than than having more live meetings. That's fa- it's fascinating that Michael. We are again as 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 a maths teacher, I'm often um, with the, with the thoughts running through my head that maths is different from other subjects. I often think this when we're when we're having whole school training and so on. And having spoke to a few maths colleagues this week, that that has been a feeling coming through that 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 math seems to lend itself better to live sessions possibly than um, this this asynchronous learning. That that's interesting. That well, um, I wonder, Michael, can can you just um shed light on those two aspects of of your teaching? week then if that's all right could, could you just talk us through briefly what that what what a live teaching session may look like and then i'll probably chip in with a few questions and then also can you talk us through the the asynchronous uh, learning the, the setting of work so if we if we start with it live teaching um, i'm interested in what what technology you're using and, and what technology the students are using to, to kick us off yes uh i'm using a computer a laptop um, I am using, I, you call these visualizers, right? Yes, yes. I, we call them document cameras, but, but in any event, I'm using one of those that I borrowed from my school. Again, if any administrator from my school is listening to this, I, I do apologize. <laughs> I, I will return it um, in excellent condition. <laughs> but, uh, right, so, so I, I have a computer, I, uh, and I've set it up with a document camera, a visualizer, and my students uh, are either using phones or computers. Most of them, thank goodness, are using computers or maybe Chromebooks. Uh, what my school did on the last day that we were meeting was they asked students if they have a computer at home and if not, lent out Chromebooks. Um, so, so students are using those. Um, on a live session, on a, a live session. Oh, and we're using Google Classroom. Uh, we're using Google Classroom and we're using Zoom. So a live session means that we're uh, that on Google. Uh, sorry. Well, we'll start on Google Classroom. I'll post a, a link to the Zoom meeting and then I'll say check the classwork because any assignment, any problems that I want students to work on that day, I'll post under classwork. Um, I'll post them uh, just saying like Monday opening problems or Monday practice problems. I'll even have two or three assignments. For a single day, and that's because I found that it's it's much easier for students to turn in smaller units of work, and for me to uh, to to look at smaller units of work, uh, and to return comments on smaller units of work. Uh, so rather than having just multiple uh, one major assignment for the day, I'll I'll try to break it up into as many units as I can, uh, without having like a dozen of them. Uh, does that make sense? It does. And just so I can picture this, Michael, when you say these units of work um, on Google Classroom, is is this then taking them to um, a link where it's essentially some kind of printed questions or is it online kind of questions being generated? What, what does the actual work look like that's being linked to from, from Classroom? Yeah, very good question. So, you know, there, there are some problems that you can kind of type out mm. and say, solve this equation on a piece of paper or something. Many involve diagrams, and you can't do that. You need to attach some sort of image. Um, there's two ways to do that. You can simply post an image, and uh, and that's fine. You can post a PDF, and I'll do that sometimes also. Uh, you can also post a document that 
and then you can kind of uh, click a button that, that, that clones that document for every student so that they have a copy of it. And if you do that, then they can type in their responses in that document, or they can even take a picture and put it in that document. And, um, and so the, what do I usually do? I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm now usually doing that. I'm usually putting a problem in a document and then asking them to either take a picture or uh, type a response in the document itself. I see. And, and where, where does Zoom come into this, Michael? Is, is that for you kind of introducing these problems and giving instructions and worked examples? How, how does Zoom link in with what you're doing in Classroom? So uh, uh, the beginning of class will be at Zoom. Students will log in. We'll talk about nonsense for a minute or two. <laughs> uh, just be, and and even though I'm, I'm I tend to be a kind of a, a stickler for not doing that uh, I've, during the school year, but I've been indulging in a little bit more of it just because uh, the, the, I, I don't want to lose the human side here, yes. and um, uh, and it's possible to lose that human side. So so we'll talk uh, nonsense for a minute or two, and. Um, and then we'll begin. I'll I'll share my screen, which might have the opening problems, uh, and uh, perhaps I'm asking students to solve a problem on their own to start off class as a bit of review. Uh, in which case, students will work on that or whatever, and and I'll monitor that and answer questions live. I'll say things like, uh, "Oh, I'm looking at your document, Anna." That's a that's a good start. Make sure that uh, you remember that there's two x-intercepts or something like that, because um, you can kind of monitor in the documents that they're working in if they're typing something. And this is all through Zoom. Just just to clarify, this is that right? This part of the lesson. Yeah. Well, this part. Yeah. This part of the lesson, we're connected to each other by Zoom. Yep. And uh, uh, I'm imagining now some classes I'll begin by asking them to solve some review problems or something. Got it. And the kids are the kids are, are doing this on a device. It's not kind of pen and paper and then taking a photo or a video. What? What? How are they most mostly working through these the, this this initial stage of the lesson, Michael? That's a that's a, that's a great question. I'm a little bit conflicted. Um, I'm a little bit conflicted. The easiest thing to do would be for them to type it at this point, if at all possible. Yes. Uh, uh, because it takes a couple minutes to get the photo thing working sometimes. Yes, yes. So if it's possible for them to type it, um, and I'll, I, frankly, I'll select problems at the beginning that are easy to type. Yes. Uh, there's a couple ways that I do this. I, I kind of gave the impression that I'm sending kids to a document right away. Uh, I'm now regretting kind of painting that picture because <laughs> uh, as much as possible to start class, I'll try to keep them in Zoom. What I'm trying to describe instead, really, is is uh, uh, is 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 I, I post a picture on my screen, and I'll ask kids to work it out uh, on a piece of paper and to type in their responses in Zoom's chat. And this is the most useful thing that I've figured out so far. The really most useful thing is that the chat is a tremendous way to access what students are thinking it's uh, uh i use it the way some some teachers would use uh mini whiteboards um which is to post a question to ask them to work it out and and to type their responses but zoom has a setting that allows you uh i describe this more in my posts uh so i apologize if this is confusing but 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 um zoom has a setting where you can say no one's allowed to chat with each other 
you're only allowed to send chats. Every chat that you put in the chat box goes directly to the host. In other words, the teacher. Mm. And so that way I can say, um, go ahead, solve this equation and type it into the chat, type your response into the chat. And then I'll just see rolling into the chat many responses. The students won't see other students' responses. Only I will see them. And so I get a very good picture uh, of what students have put together, what, 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 what their response is. And so I can kind of say, oh, and I, I will say this out loud. Thank you for that response, Emma. Thank you, uh, Jack. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you, uh, you know, whatever, Jay. And um, I'll say, oh, that's correct. Or if I see something, I'll say um, that needs response. I'll say uh, uh, I'm seeing X equals two. That's correct. But there's two solutions here. Uh, make sure that you're saying two things or or I'm seeing uh, two comma zero. Don't forget the Y intercept should be start with zero because it's the X coordinate or whatever. Um, so that gives me that is the smoothest part of this whole thing. That's the not, smoothest I mean, that's part of this whole thing is the chat. That's really nice assessment for learning there. That's almost, and again, it's almost has an advantage over the mini whiteboards in the sense that the kids can't see each other. So there's no fear of being wrong and stuff. Would you say that it almost works better in that sense? Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, that is the only aspect of this that, that is working well enough that it even makes me consider, could I do something like this in the classroom? That's it's really the only aspect of this. And I don't think I could because the devices have a certain, distraction capability uh but if somehow there was a way that i could remove the distraction element and just have students have the ability to type responses like that to me and just see them and roll past me that would be that would have an advantage in some ways uh that'd be a useful assessment for learning um that's that's fascinating that that part works well that part works well I like that. And we're going to definitely dive into some things that don't work quite as well a little later, Michael. I'm, I'm interested after this initial part of the lesson, this this where you can um, obviously you can set review questions like that and do assessment for learning and possibly then move into some modeling and worked examples. Um, I can see that working particularly well on, 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 on Zoom. I'm interested then in what the kind of the next phase of the lesson looks like, the, the, the kind of practice phase. Is that when you direct kids back into Google Classroom at that point? That's right. That's 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 when I direct kids back into Google Classroom. Zoom has this thing called breakout rooms. So usually what it looks like at this point is I'll say, go to classroom. Your assignment for the day is posted. Um, I'll put students in breakout rooms and that's uh, using Zoom. That's the ability to. Uh, create smaller groups of, of of video chats where two or three students are chatting with each other with video and that's it. And I can join those rooms. I can swoop in and out of those rooms. I can go to room one. I can go to room two. A kid can raise their hand in room three and I can say, pardon me, I have to go. I have a question in room three and I you know, jump into that. Uh, so that's where I'll ask kids to to work on that practice phase stuff. Now, that's fascinating, Michael. So because this is something that's come up um, uh, again on Twitter, but also in an an earlier conversation I had in this series, that the one thing that's severely lacking in terms of this 
situation we're in at the moment is is student interaction with the with each other and students find themselves for the first time possibly ever trying to do maths problems on their own and if they get stuck they don't have that partner to ask for help and so on have, have you found this is a good way of getting around that using the technology to essentially recreate the tables that kids are sat on so they can have those discussions yes and no it really some of those sometimes this works together i've been asking i you know in the class so uh uh one thing i'll say is that is that it helps in the classroom i really don't let students choose their own groups mm. um that's a mess uh first of all there's the high potential for hurt feelings yes um second of all uh you sometimes have kids making poor choices as to who they should work with both in terms of behavior and also in terms of mathematics uh you get these inequitable partnerships where there's one student who kind of knows all the answers and the other who doesn't but they're good friends and so mm. it's like oh he's helping me he's helping me yeah that, that's great <laughs> um i to to make collaboration a little bit easier and under these situations i have been asking students to request partners uh to request people to be in breakout rooms and i say i can't honor all these because there's sometimes incompatible requests but if you would like to make a request go ahead and that's been good because there have been some that 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 to me increases the possibility that kids will collaborate mm. and and be able to do that uh, because there's this tremendous obstacle in the way of their collaboration, which is that they have no idea what the other's working on. They they can't see each other's thing. It's very difficult for a student to say, "Let me show you." It's very difficult for a student to point to something. By the way, that's what's very difficult about this phase of the action to me which is that it's very hard to see what they're working on in this. I can't use the chat thing quite as well. Um, and if I can't, then the students have a hard, much harder time. Um, sometimes kids share screens. Um, it might be possible, as this goes on, to coach kids to, 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 to do things that help make shared virtual spaces for their work. I don't know. I haven't really tried that yet. Some kids are having success sharing their screens um, and kind of talking through problems together. Most are not. Most are working independently, and then I will come into those rooms and say, uh, how's everybody doing? And then I will have individual conversations. And so for most students, what the breakout rooms really are, are a less public place for me to have conversations with them yes. so that I can help individuals without um, kind of saying in front of the whole class, you know, you did this wrong or you haven't started the assignment. Got it. Um, got, got it. And can you just um, clarify, Michael? What, so in terms of the kids working on problems, what, what do they tend to be? Do you have kind of res um, certain websites you send them to? Is it problems you type yourself? Is it from textbooks? What, what, what are they working on in this kind of practice phase? That is that is what a, so, such a good question, right? I've mentioned that I've got two little kids and that I'm designing my lessons in the evening. Yes. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if I could use online practice or workbooks? Exactly. That I'm yes. not creating. Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> wouldn't I do that? Wouldn't that be the logical thing to do? Look, here's here's where I'm at. The online practice tools are not as useful for this as I was hoping. Here and there, when a group of my students has mastered some skill, it makes sense to say to them. Go ahead and do this digital practice. Yes. Go to Delta Math or one of the many other websites where you can do online math practice. Go do that. But the problems don't gradually uh, increase in difficulty for the most part there. Really what those are are 
their practice problems for some specific skill. And if you get it wrong, there's a worked example or a video or something. And that's a frustrating way to learn something new. So that is not I'm finding. Oh, the other thing is that for my youngest students, they have a very difficult time navigating those sites. It's not at all clear how to sign them all up in an efficient way. Uh, many of the tools are going to be free for some time, but not forever. So, so, uh, and some of them are quite expensive. So, so the, the, I have, I've been leaning less on those tools, which stinks because I really want to rely on them more because they're really easy for me to set up as a teacher. That, that's fascinating that because yeah there's big advantages right there's, there's it's easier for you to set up as a teacher then there's also the kids getting instant feedback on whether they're right or wrong and so on it's it, if, if you can make those online things work and they're suitable it, it's win-win on a lot of fronts but as you say if it's if it's not suitable for whatever reason then you've got to look for an alternative so so what's the alternative michael i'm picturing you writing you tell me you're not writing all these problems out yourself right well, I'm not. I'm not. I know more. I know better than to do that. But what I am <laughs> stuck doing right now is is doing a good is doing some curating work, and I'm trying to figure out the resources that I can rely on without doing that. Uh, I found certain books that we have PDFs of in my department that we've scanned um, are useful to to send, but uh, but I haven't I haven't had what. It, so, so for example, for for my younger students, they're working on decimals right now. Uh, there's a book called uh, uh, Math in Focus, which I believe is just a version of the Singapore math textbooks, and they have worked examples in there. They have, uh, uh, you know, a nice progression of problems, lots of completion problems where it's uh, it's it's it, parts of the worked example have been kind of been removed, so students have to provide those on their own. Uh, uh, there's a lot of support, in other words, for students to work on those independently. There's not easy ways for the students to type in their responses in a document, though. So to use those with my youngest students, there need to be a way for them to take pictures of their work mm, and hand it yes. in somehow. None of them have phones. They're young students. I don't have to, I have unreliable contact with their parents. And so what I had to do last week was really coach them through using their web cameras, and there's a way to do this. Uh, if you create a document, a Google document, there's uh, a way to, inside the Google document, open up the camera and take a picture. Uh, that Using the existing camera that students are presumably using because they're connected to Zoom if it's a live mm -hmm. setting. So, so uh, or they're using a computer. So, so that has been, in order to make the paper resources work, the quote-unquote paper resources work, the workbook pages work, you need to have a digital workflow set up for the students first. Yes, yes. Right? And so so last week, I think I got the digital workflow set up for all my classes. I think. I think. I think more or less students are able to take pictures of their things and send it in. And so now I'm trying to, to, to make sure that I have workbook pages that, they, that make sense to assign. Uh... But you think about the advantage of those digital tools. If a kid runs out of stuff, they can simply just keep going. They can work on – you can assign as many, many skills as you'd like. It can be self-directed. Most worksheets are – you know, there's one page. Uh, so differentiation becomes very challenging then. You might want to say in a classroom, here's the first page everybody should do, and then if you have time, try these, these problems. Yes. Um, but 
how do you do that now? So, so in the first two weeks, I found myself in many evenings kind of putting together, okay, so I've got a, 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 maybe a worksheet from this, this workbook, and then what am I going to find is the challenge problem for the day. And that's exhausting also. That's a curation task. That's, that, that's going to keep me up at night. So now I'm trying to find a workbook that I could just post and like a hundred pages of it and say, when you are done or on Thursday even, work through this book at your own pace and then post your responses. And I don't know. That's what I, that's the last thing I've tried. The last thing I've tried is, is, is on Friday. I, I gave my youngest students a copy of, uh, uh, and what do you call this? It's a, it's a, it's a UK, ta- um, Joe Morgan told me about this. It's amazing. It's the Mathematics Enhancement Program Primary oh. Resources Text. Yes, yeah, that is a classic. Okay, I didn't know about this. It's amazing. Um, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I don't really know yet, but on Friday, I posted a, just the whole document, and I said, students, work through this at your own pace. And I'm hoping that next week, I can just for a couple days say, work on this at your own pace and send in images. But we'll see. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. And I take it that um, because you you described very well how in the Zoom part of the lesson, you've made assessment for learning work really well there. I assume that in this kind of the practice phase of the lesson, apart from dipping into the breakout rooms, which I think is a super smart idea, I've not not thought of doing that. Your assessment is only going to really come whenever the students send you in the pictures of the work or whatever it is. And and that's very different, isn't it, from being able to walk around the classroom and easily just kind of keep an eye on what the kids are doing and so on. Has, has, has that been has that, has that been difficult for you? Yeah, it's incredibly difficult. The most difficult part of this whole thing. The only thing I would add is that if you do have students typing in individual documents and it is set up through Google Classroom, you can kind of dip in. It takes a much, much longer and their work is less coherent, but you can sort of see. So with my my older students who are working on uh, similarity and similar triangle proofs, on Friday I, I found myself able to to dip through their documents and see what they had typed as they were typing it more or less. And I was able to say, you know, hypotenuse leg. Uh, on do you see for problem four you wrote hypotenuse leg. That's really something for congruence, not for similarity. Uh, at least at this stage or the way in which they had said it, it's kind of interesting as a brief mathematical aside, I, I suppose that hypotenuse leg, if it was done with proportions instead of, well, anyway, so, um, <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, so, uh, so it is possible if they're typing progressively typing their responses, you could dip in and get a little bit of that picture into their, into their work. That's interesting. And can I ask um, as well, just, yeah. just 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 before we move on to the, the other side of things, the kind of setting of work, um, do you have like an end to the lesson? Do you bring everybody back into Zoom to, to wrap things up or is it kind of the practice phase that just kind of goes on till the end of the, the allocated time? Right. So in the classroom, I, I would usually bring them back, but that's premised on my assessment of their learning, right? Yes, I would, of I course. Would. And so uh, what I'm finding is that my it's so much slower to get a picture of what the students are doing, that many sessions I, I don't have a good picture yet of what, what the class needs to talk about. And so because the assessment piece is so much clumsier, I find myself bringing the class back less often, which means that there's you know a, a little bit less feedback and hence a little bit less learning. So, so that's been a frustrating aspect. I find myself, you know, ideally I would be calling them back, but if I'm not going to do it, if I don't have a good sense of what the class needs to talk about. 
That's very interesting. That's fascinating. And then just just briefly on the um, the setting of work, Michael, um, for those sessions, whether it's two a week, um, as, as you mentioned before, how does that setting of work differ from the practice phase that would happen in, in the, the kind of live lessons? Is it, is it different styles of problems? Is it different sources that they come from? Well, I'm, I'm more likely to try to use, when I can, online practice for those sessions. Yes. Because the main difference is just that I'm not around. Mm. Or, okay, so here's what's complicated about it. If I wanted to, it seems like my school is saying, look, if you want to tell your students to work while you're around, you can. In which case, I would just be around to help. Uh, I can be... On the other hand, I can. I. It seems that they're trying because they want to be accommodating to people who have families, young families, or whatever. Seem to be saying also, well, you can also just tell kids to work independently, and and you won't be there at all. I see. Some days when my wife is teaching, uh, it's literally impossible for me to be there, um, uh, because I'm taking care of the kids while my wife is is doing her teaching, and it's. It's a big overlap and not really possible to do. So, so in short, Greg, in short, you know, the work ideally is not much different in that uh, for the live sessions, for the practice, I need them to be able to navigate that independently anyway because it's so much slower for me to see what they're doing. So it's the work isn't that much different Um but I am trying to, to find things just for my own sake that they can be do even more independently without my creating, um, you know, carefully scaffolded documents. So, so I'm trying to move to a place where they're more independent, acceptably independent in those days, either by having online practice or something like go work in this workbook and send me what you do. But, but I don't know. What's best for learning would be, I think – to say everybody come and meet and uh, work on this and I will be around to help. Uh, but I can't do that. I think. Yeah, that's fascinating. And yeah, as, as you've said, that's, that's the compromise and it. it seems to be the only one that's workable at this stage. That that's fascinating that Michael, um, just a kind of few general questions. Um, could you summarize You've mentioned um, p- perhaps one of these things um, in terms of the assessment for learning using zoom chat. Is there anything else that's working well for you in the, um, in this experience? Well, you know, I, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm very feeling glad that I've been able to figure out, it does seem possible. If, if students can get on Zoom, it does seem that it is possible for them to use their web camera to share pictures of their math. And that, that seemed, that was kind of my, something I was, I was finding kind of nerve wracking. Because mm. if I couldn't do that, then my options were very much limited. It does seem that that's possible. So that, that's kind of working well. And the breakout rooms work okay. Certainly the students prefer that. I have students saying, are we going to do breakout rooms today? Oh, good. And it, it doesn't seem as if students are totally miserable in these sessions. <laughs> you know, it seems that they're kind of enjoying time with their classmates. They enjoy interacting with me. Uh, they enjoy having a chance to do something that's interesting. They, 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 they enjoy the interactive parts. They enjoy being independent, 
Though, just to put something in the other column, part of what is fun about being independent for at least some of my students is that it's much easier to be independent and to not have your teacher see everything that you're doing at every moment. <laughs> uh, the other thing I'll say, and this is kind of an aside, it's kind of weird. I, I was thinking at the start of this thing that this is going to be fundamentally exhausting in 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 radical ways because I'll be doing my job, which I, I find teaching exhausting, and I will also be parenting, which I find incredibly exhausting. <laughs> and I'll be doing them both without any outlets or any breaks because we're all stuck at home. And that's, you know, that I don't want to minimize that. That's basically true. The funny thing is, is uh, I, I, I do think that I'm, I find myself less exhausted after 45 minutes of online teaching. You know, uh, the, the it's hard to create work in the evenings. That's really hard. But but the actual classroom stuff, I, I do find myself less drained emotionally and uh, and and kind of mentally. I find myself less drained after 45 minutes of teaching in this way. I think it's because I just have fewer interactions and there's less to pay attention to. You know, I people say that that's the one of the exhausting things about teaching is you have all these interactions. You got to keep you know so many different needs in mind over such a focused period of time. You need to pay attention to so many different things. Those are all part of what make teaching effective when it's done well. And then suddenly there's this condition in which you can't do any of those things. So it, I, I, in some ways it is less exhausting than I thought it was going to be. Uh, the teaching itself. That's fascinating. And what about things that aren't working so well, Michael? Where, where are well, the pretty much everything, Craig. <laughs> Where to begin? The, it, the, the hardest thing is, is getting a, a, a clear picture of where students are. I, I found myself on, on Thursday saying, okay, I've set some work, as, as you folks say. I've signed uh, some, class, some, some, some work for students to do independently. And then I checked back later that day and nobody had done it. <laughs> okay. So then on class on Friday, I said, well, I, at least I have a plan. You know, you're just going to do this. <laughs> Uh, um, so that didn't work. And, and the other thing, you know, and, and, um, and having any picture whatsoever, that assessment for learning when we're not doing the live chat and zoom thing is, is very difficult. You know, on the one hand, I really would prefer to see their handwritten work. On the other hand, there's a delay. If I ask them to do that, I see their work less quickly than mm. if they chatted. Uh, sorry, then if they type it into a document. Yes. But if just to make I, I tried to make this point before. Let me clarify just a little bit. If you use a PDF, that's the easiest thing to do to provide work, but there's nowhere to type on it, right? Mm, yes. So if you're gonna make a document where students can type, they kind of need to make that document work for the kids. Um, and depending on the on on the age of the kids and the math, it, it's not a it's it, it's limiting. To say, oh, I need to only ask questions that they can type responses to. Uh, for example, if, if we're going to, you know, if I want to say draw a graph at any point for the rest of the year, if I want to say, you know, graph this equation, are we just saying there's no graphing anymore because you can't type that? <laughs> so so there's, there's a push and pull there. There's no perfect tool that I've found so far, uh, and I won't find a perfect tool. For, for getting, uh, you know, a good picture of their mathematical thinking in a timely way that covers all the things that I'm supposed to teach that are important. 
so the assessment for learning thing outside of those live moments is is real patchy, and that's that's if uh, if we if we have a, a a if we had a crack squad of math educators uh, working on figuring out one aspect of this, it would be that it would be figuring out ways of making the assessment for learning thing uh, work better while they are working on practice, uh, not with me not present. It was just making that whole thing smoother. Some teachers are using tools like Desmos, uh, Desmos custom activities to, 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 there's a way to make custom activities using Desmos where you do actually get to see their responses come in. Um, and there is more of an ability to, that's, there's a little bit more of a mathematical canvas for students in, in those Desmos activities if you make them custom, uh, than, than, than you do in a simple Word document. Or Google Doc, but that's you know that's that's work, and uh, someone needs to do that work, and it can't be me right now. Yes, that's fascinating. And um, Michael, I wonder again, it's we're only early days here, but what's what have been the biggest changes you've made over these two weeks? Well, I, moving fast. When I started in week one, it was kind of like the first week of school when you have all your lessons planned out and you got a lot of energy. <laughs> I was I was making these documents that were really carefully scaffolded. They started with worked examples included, and I was making them on my own. Uh, I was making completion problems and really kind of fading out the examples in really careful, systematic ways. And it was great because students were more or less able to work on those independently. But here I am in week three, and I can't do that anymore in the evening. So I'm trying to move as fast as humanly possible to finding a workflow where students can be handed just a simple worksheet and work on that independently in a way that I can see their responses uh, such that I can make sense of what they're doing. Um, and that's, that's, that's the big shift is, is, is there's a, away from over these couple weeks away from, well, I, I, to put the whole picture together I, I wouldn't make those kinds of documents in the classroom usually. I don't do that. I assume that I can write a worked example on the board or prepare one before class, and I don't need to integrate it, everything into a single document for students before things have started. Uh, the first shift is in the, in the week one, me trying to do that, and now week three, trying to find a way out of that trap so that mm -hmm. I can use some other co collection of resources to avoid having to do that. Fascinating. Um, well, what's been your students' take, Michael? How are they finding this? You know, they they say that they enjoy breakout rooms. They say that they enjoy being able to work independently without having to wait for other students. Of course, I think every teacher knows that sometimes a student's perception of what they're doing is different than our perception. And <laughs> when students work independently, you know, part of what's fun about that is 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 it's you know you're you can be in the zone. You can just do what you think makes sense, even if the teacher has different ideas. Um, but but some of my students really do enjoy working independently, and that's I can understand that. And they tell me that they enjoy independently. They say that they enjoy the breakout rooms. Uh, they say that they enjoy uh, having multiple days to work on an assignment and being more or less self-paced through some of these things. Um, they seem to enjoy when things are interactive. Um, so the, that Zoom thing is working well. I think students are appreciative of the chance to interact. And they're also appreciative of the chance to 
move independently. And uh, my youngest students are saying things like, oh, we miss school so much. Mm. They're they're posting like, "Can uh, uh, can we please have some more stuff to do sometimes because some of my younger students I think are, are finding themselves bored. And, um, but really I think some of them are just missing the, the school environment, uh, missing having teachers there to kind of care for them, missing their friends because their school is the place where they have their, their social lives. Schools are so much more than just a place for learning. And, uh, you know, that's true. And like, you know, the, Oh God, the the political level, right? It's a place for food or whatever, but it's also just it's 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 a major site where their lives happen, and it's just gone. So students are mixed, I think, in the whole experience. I think I, I think a hundred percent of students. I could be wrong. Hundred percent. I'd say the majority of my students would go back to school tomorrow if they had the choice. If they had to choose between this and school. They'd say school on a heartbeat. Um, thinking for a moment, I suppose that some students hate school and would not do that. Uh, but but I don't want to I want to I don't want to pretend that school is just cheery for everybody. But but um, but there are aspects of the learning experience that students are enjoying, and uh, and they are the consistently they like being independent, even though I kind of think that there's some costs to that for their learning, and uh, they do like um, you know having some interactions. That's interesting, though, Michael. And and how about from your perspective? Is is there anything about this situation, whether we call it distant teaching or online uh, online learning, that you actually prefer than uh, the live in the classroom teaching? You know, I mentioned that it's less exhausting in some ways. Um, I mentioned that Zoom, the kind of chat window thing, is nice. Ah, the short answer is no. There's <laughs> nothing about this that's better. I mean, it's right. It's easier because I can do less. So I guess that's you know, I'm a fundamentally lazy person in some ways. So <laughs> it is kind of nice to be a little bit less tired after 45 minutes than I am because I've. But 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 it's only because I've talked to fewer people. Um. Yeah. There's nothing that's better. This is all worse. Any yeah. any school that 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 sometimes you see this on 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 social media or I'm thinking really of Twitter. Hey, you know, when we go back, people are going to realize, no, no, no aspect of this. is. Everyone's just going to be, no one's going to look back on these months and say, wow, that's the way things should have been. Well, that's interesting that. So I will, I guess, I wonder if that's my, your answer to my next question. Will, will, will this experience change anything at all about your, your classroom practice when, when you do go back? Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe the only thing I can think of is that I'm finding some resources that I kind of like. So... Mm. You know, these I like the idea. Maybe I could provide everybody a workbook and they'll um, and assign pages from it. Something I've I've been more of a kind of like figure out the handout every day sort of guy. But maybe 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 it's just as well to assign a workbook, uh, especially some some finding some that are that are kind of nice and have some support for students. Examples integrated and whatnot. The Singapore books are nice. These these uh, the mathematics enhancement program is lovely. So so maybe I'll I'll you know, but that's not changing my classroom teaching. You know. That's, that's that's just different resources. Mm, um, you know, if, if if you gave me a piece of hardware that did nothing but but type answers to me, like I can do it with the Zoom chat, then 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 you know maybe that would change my practice. But um, 
you know, those devices don't exist and I'm not going to give kids uh, a distraction machine for, you know, the, the, for this one capability, you know, the ability to chat a response to me. So I, I think, no, I, right. I think this is, I think this is, this is, this is teaching in case of emergency. This is not good. It's fascinating. Yeah. Again, you're not the first person to, to, to say that, Michael, it's, um, yeah, and it's again, it's one of those. It's an incredibly tricky situation where we've got to look for the positives, and I think I think you're right. I think the resource side of things potentially is is a positive. Teachers discovering new things. I think that potentially teachers becoming more comfortable with technology may have some positive benefits as as we go through. But yeah, it's um, the, the, there's no pretending that this uh, this is a great situation. So so with that in mind, Michael, I wonder. Just to summarize things, what will be your key pieces of advice and tips for, for teachers that are in this situation? Well, if you're using whatever technology you're using, it seems that that I, I found the text chat to be the most useful teaching tool. The thing that 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 is that is by far the best about this situation. So I would I would lean heavy, if possible, on on using whole group interactive conversations with chat. Things where you ask a question and, and students chat and answer. I really like setting that private. Um, my sense is that not every technology that people are using allows for you to set the conversation private, but I, I'm finding that to be tremendously useful. So if that's possible, to set up a kind of a chat that between you and the students that's that's a private channel, that is, I'm finding, very, 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 very useful. So that's, that's, that's the key pedagogical advice, I guess. The... You know, if you're a person like me, well, okay, so so if you're trying to figure out things for students to work on independently, you know, good luck. If you can make online things work, that's great. Um, that's probably at the top of the list of things. If you can do that, why wouldn't you? If you can make custom Desmos activities that give you feedback as to how students are doing and kind of open up the canvas of what kids can do, I know teachers who are doing that, who are making their own custom activities for math. That's that seems like another useful thing to do if you can do that. I can imagine departments or groups of, of teachers of uh, doing that for a curriculum, and, and that would be amazing. I can't do that, and so I'm trying to find resources that students can work through independently, and that means that those resources have to include examples of some kind or another, um, ideally, some kind of faded support. Ideally, um, the resource that I found that is doing that the best is the Singapore math books that have um, that are called Math and Focus. I hope there's other things out there. Um, you know, that doesn't exactly describe the Mathematics Enhancement Program books, but but those books have other wonderful features that I'm really hoping will make it uh, easy for me to assign those pages to students. Primarily that it's free and it's a PDF. And it's cleanly formatted, and uh, uh, there's answers that I can give to parents or even share with students after the fact. So, so that right. So I guess the advice number one is make whole group interactive with chat, and advice number two is is gotta find something that's easy to assign that students have some support in. And and I guess the 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 third thing is if. If you've got time to an energy to think about any aspect of this problem, the big thing is figuring out a workflow so that you can do assessment 
of learning when students are doing kind of that practice that you've, you've you've assigned some practice that mode that's not whole group interactive but it's more like practice time if you can figure out a way to open up a window on what students are doing there and you can tell other people how you're doing that that seems to me like that would be tremendously useful that's what i'm struggling with the most fantastic super michael and what we'll do we'll put a link in the show notes as well to the the blog post that you've written so far about your experiences because i, I know you talk in depth about how you're using zoom and with with useful links there as well so there'll be links to all those in the in the show notes and any other blog posts that you write going forward i'll, I'll update the show notes with those as well but yeah. michael um as ever, as it was first time round, this has been an, an absolute pleasure, and I hope this won't be the last time that we we speak on this podcast. So thank you for giving up time on your on your Sunday to speak to me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, a, a pleasure as well. I feel as if I got a slight head start on this because my school closed early, but now everybody else is catching up. So I feel as if I've, I've, I'm starting to say what I have to say, and I'm excited to see what everybody else is able to figure out and to tell me how to do. 